So HBO Max has released a new docu-series called The Way Down, and it's about a church, which many would call a cult, located in Nashville called the Remnant Fellowship. This evangelical church cult was founded by a woman named Gwen Shamblin Lara, who became famous by writing a book called The Way Down Diet, which advertises itself as a faith-based permanent solution to weight loss. The premise of the book, which turned into a whole ministry conglomerate, is that the only solution to permanent weight loss is through prayer and following God's rules for eating. And the God she's referencing in the book is the God in the Christian Bible. So that's a little background on what the docuseries is about. We'll be putting out recap episodes for each episode of the docuseries every week or so, and we'll be interviewing someone that attended the Remnant Fellowship once on a later episode. So today we are discussing Midnight Mass. I'm sorry, just kidding. We're discussing (laughs) the third episode of The Way Down called Seen and Not Heard. Except y'all, maybe we should be talking about Midnight Mass. (laughs) I haven't seen Midnight Mass either, so. (laughs) Well, they're not unrelated. They're not unrelated. (laughs) They're not unrelated. It's y'all gotta go watch Midnight Mass. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so, but seriously, we're on episode three of The Way Down on HBO Max called Seen and Not Heard. We've already like kind of talked about how this was maybe the most upsetting episode to watch. Definitely yeah. the heaviest. For sure, for sure. Like for real, if the last episode, if any of that was like triggering to you. I, I might tell you not to watch this one. Yeah, honestly. same. Yeah, and and maybe don't listen to this episode. We're the only podcast we're, that actively tells its listeners to stop listening. Sometimes stop listening. I mean, we're gonna be we're we've discussed kind of how we're gonna talk about this, obviously, and we're gonna be gentle with details, and we're not gonna yes. get too in the weeds of things. So. I guess we should introduce ourselves. My name is Megan. I'm Kendra. I'm Katie. We're glad you're here with us. When we were discussing how to organize our thoughts around this episode, we thought about organizing it into the big systems of oppression that we saw at play. And the first one that we noticed was adultism, which is sometimes called adult centrism. And that is literally the power adults have over children. More narrowly, adultism is defined as prejudice and accompanying systematic discrimination against young people. On a more philosophical basis, the term has also been defined as bias towards adults. So bias against children, bias towards adults. And how we see that show up in our culture is obviously adults dictate pretty much everything that children do. And also their children's emotions aren't taken as seriously. Oftentimes spaces aren't accessible to children. So it really shows up in a lot of ways. I mean, right out the gate, I realized like she talks about they about how there was no children's church and the kids were just like with the grown-ups and look how great that is for them. And expected to understand the same language and the same concepts and everything. 
which is, I think adultism is kind of a hard thing because adults are responsible for raising their children and like making sure that they are like, their needs are met and those kinds of things. So there's a fine line between like a parent raising a child and like an adult, like disregarding the needs of a child. I think it's a good point because I think there is a lot of nuance there. That's why they get away with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Exactly. That is why they get away with it. And it's be- and we talk about this like the importance of learning and listening to the wisdom of the body. And as a child you're just to- in this system you're just totally negated. How could you know? How could you possibly you're a child, how could you possibly know what you need or what you want? Mm-hmm. Um, or what's good for you. Yeah. Wild. One of the things that Gwen says, and this isn't an actual video, so she can't even deny this or she couldn't deny this, but if you don't obey your parents for the first time, not the second or the third time, but the first time, if you're slow to obey, you are being your own God. You won't go to heaven. You won't live on earth. You won't live long on earth. And you'll have a terrible afterlife. Parents listening. Is that just not exactly what you want your children to learn? (laughs) It's so authoritarian too. It's horrifying to think that like, that's, that's the method that you're going to take to get your kids to like, do what you want them to do instead of like just talking to them and explaining things thoroughly and communicating well, it's fear. And it's, it's like you were saying, Megan, it's authoritarian. And I think you're exactly right, Katie. It is fear-based. A parent wanting to operate like that with their children, that, I mean, it is fear-based and it's being instilled in them by what do they, what does she call herself? Gweezes by Gwen. Gweezes. You know? Yeah. And it's, and it's reinforced by the physical abuse. They're trying to tell the parents in, in the congregation that the, the only way they can get their kids to obey is through spanking and physical abuse. And they talk about this, like, your your kid wiggles um i'm forgetting who it was that talked about this but getting changed we're talking about an infant wiggling during a changing of the diaper yeah if Um, your infant isn't wiggling during the changing of a diaper that's probably a sign of trauma i'm not even kidding yeah Mm -hmm. yeah no you're yeah exactly i got a little kick out of like talking about three-year-olds being still Cause I'm not even an adult that can be still. So, and I was certainly not a three-year-old that could be still, but it reminded me yeah. of the story when I was younger. Um, when I was three, the church I grew up at had like a mother daughter luncheon. And so like all of us toddlers, I mean, and we weren't all that young, but like I was at a table with other three-year-olds, like my friends, family, parents, mothers, and, um, they thought that three-year-olds were going to sit through, not just like eating, but like a 45 minute talk from the woman, whoever it was that they brought in for the moms in the room. And my mom knew better. And so about, I can probably like two minutes after there was nothing left to do at the table. She took me out in the lobby and just ran around 
And some woman, not the speaker, but the woman with the speaker thought that afterwards she had the, she had the audacity to come up to my mother and say, if you don't take the rod to that child, she's going to end up in jail or on the wrong path. Oh, I said, mm-hmm. what did you do? And my mom went, nothing. I just smiled and walked away from her. I knew she didn't know what she was talking about. <laughs> just walked away. My parents still today, when they see, you know, kids, families out in public and the kid is quote unquote misbehaving or just being a kid, being loud, being like rambunctious, mm-hmm. they'll say something like, oh, that kid needs to be spanked or something like that. And for the longest time, because I'm, I haven't even, I'm in no position right now to be thinking about starting a family anytime soon. Um, So for the longest time, I didn't really know what to think about that. I was kind of feeling weird. Um, But then someone explained to me, someone who was getting ready to have a baby um, explained to me that, you know, why would, if you're trying to raise a child to be a good adult, human, which is the goal, I guess, of having kids. Why would you teach them that the way to deal with conflict is violence? 100%. And, mm-hmm. and why is that the way that you're going to teach them how to resolve an issue? If someone's doing something that you don't like, are you going to hit them? Like, are you going to beat them? Like, that doesn't make sense. And so I think having that in the back of my mind watching them talk about, you know, the Joseph Smith case and even just the smaller examples of them talking about how are you going to discipline a kid? And Gwen is recommending a glue stick. It like, I'm getting my stomach is getting like physically upset just thinking about it right now. I can appreciate that there is some gray areas around discipline and the differences between discipline and physical violence. But evidence shows us that violence begets violence. Right. Mm -hmm. And just like you said, Katie, if you are physically punishing your child, then what are they going to do when conflict comes up in their lives? Because they have not been given the opportunity to practice regulating their own mood or to practice how to make some other kind of choice or just to slow down, which is what is usually needed in those moments. Mm -hmm. And this is just another way that children are a marginalized group because they are treated differently. We would not hit our friends when we're, when they've done something we don't like, we wouldn't, in fact, there are a lot of ways that we wouldn't treat our friends when they done something we wouldn't like, like we, we really wouldn't try to punish them. Probably we would try to, you know, which like, and there are age appropriate ways to do that with children. Right. And it's like, they're like, parents aren't meant to be friends. Like they're, that's not the role, but that's what they're learning how to treat their friends. Yes. And we haven't even really touched on how it was not only is it like adults, but if you're older than somebody, then you have the responsibility, the right to correct them or to punish them so the you know they'd say so you could be nine and be able to punish a five-year-old in the way that they're being taught through violence 
So not only are you inflicting this violence and teaching that, but then you're allowing them to go ahead and begin the practice. This is when we meet Ted Anger. Mm, yes. I'm just saying, maybe we start paying attention to people's last names. Sham, <laughs> Shamblin, Anger, Anger, Ted Anger. Didn't he change so- his name? Andre, but what's what I thought was kind of made me laugh to myself. Um, my phone, I was like typing notes in my phone while I was watching, and my phone auto corrected Ted Anger to Ted Danger. Yes, um, and I thought that was also very fitting. Very, your, your phone is very wise. Yeah, but he just he's abusive. Yeah. And he's one of the, what, one of the highest leaders in the church under, under Gwen, mm-hmm. but. Well, they still say up above, there. but they, they say technically above. under. They and would they never know. admit. Which that whole thing is still kind of being a church of Christ, women, not speaking, women, not praying out loud. Like it's a very submissive denomination. Mm-hmm. And so even that. Gwen really being the one in charge, Gwen being in charge of anyone, forget that there, whether or not there are four people over Gwen, four dudes over Gwen, then her and everyone else. Like that is just right. Wild. It's like using the tools of oppression, except not for me. Mm-hmm. Which white also, women like to do a lot. Mm-hmm. I yes. mean, I'm speaking about us too. I mean, yeah, yeah we are not exempt. Um, Gwen and Ted talk about this idea of like you shouldn't be thinking about yourself children shouldn't be thinking about themselves as if thinking about yourself is selfishness and you know when we're raising our next generations I want them to be reflective I want them to critically think about themselves and about the world and then go forward because otherwise, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, introspection is not selfish. I thought it was, I mean, and this theme shows up later with like mental health stigma. Um, but these kids who have been abused by their parents under the direction of Gwen and the leadership of the church are dealing with really significant mental health ramifications and they're depressed. And at one point um, they talk about one of the kids who OD'd and they're all having like depressed suicidal thoughts and they're not able to talk to anyone because who are they going to talk to? That's one of the direct quotes is who are they going to talk to? Because there's no one, they can't go to anywhere. They can't talk to anyone because otherwise it's going to be, turned up the ladder, the leadership ladder, and they'll be called in for counseling and put through more trauma. More trauma. Yeah. All those symptoms that they talked about are all PTSD symptoms. Yeah. So we hear a little bit about the story about Joseph Smith. We're not going to get into the specifics about that because it's pretty upsetting, but basically just know that his parents were following what Gwen told them to do. And Joseph Smith is murdered and he's a child and he may not be the only child that this happened to in this family. Mm. We're not sure. And so the charges are brought against the parents and they're brought to court 
they, whoever was working on it, tried to implicate Gwen and the church, but that wouldn't stick. But it showed a little video clip of them in court. And like you said, Kendra, there's, there's Gwen and her team. And then you find out that she's paying for their whole defense and paid their bail. And when they're found guilty, it, they create all these websites saying that they're innocent. Yes. Yeah. And are continuing to try and clear their name because to them, it's a stain on the remnant fellowship. Right. Even though they're, it's like the dichotomy of it, even though they're trying to continually distance themselves and say that they're part of our church, but they didn't learn this from us, but -hmm. we're going to support them and stand up for them. And we're going to, even after they're found guilty, we're still going to say they aren't, that they're innocent. And yet, but also they didn't learn that behavior from us. It's fucked up. It's fucked up. So Gwen draws this diagram. (laughs) Take us through it, Kendra. She draws a triangle, which I just, I keep coming back to the whole Trinity and how that's like not a thing to them or whatever. And, um, and yet here we are drawing a triangle. Um, But of course, God is the peak of that triangle. And then it's you and what you want are the other two pieces of that triangle. I'm like, that doesn't even make any sense. But anyway, yeah, like that's how you get to God is between you and what you want. Wouldn't that be a disconnect based on what they're really trying to say theologically? Anyway, what if you want food? (laughs) What if you're hungry? If you're hungry. And then she draws a line like under kind of God, not a direct correlation, but under over to a new side of the page and puts Jesus. That's where Jesus is. Jesus. So Jesus is like, they're not connected a little lower. I mean, visually, this is like how she's showing. And then she begins to write a list and I'm like, where is this going? Where is this list going? So, I mean, I grew up in a world where they very much were like, it's God, Jesus, Trinity, whatever. Then it's your pastor. Then it's the dad of the home then it's the mom of the home then it's the children like this is the patriarchal this is how this goes okay and that's I grew up under that so I was kind of like is that where this is going and like kind of that's where this went except she starts to write this list under Jesus is your boss in case anybody was wondering hey capitalism boss and then it's um your church leaders she said, you know, the mm-hmm. leadership of your church, mm-hmm. careful not to say like me and then the others, just church leadership. And then she says spouse, but she means father. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then she kind of moves on and they kind of jump forward. But some of the other words are like your teacher and I don't even, what else? It was your teacher, your siblings. Oh, your siblings. Yeah, right. Back to sibling. that, back to that age thing. Um, And then her statement at the end is like, how do you get to Jesus and God from you and what you want? It's through all of these things, all of these relationships. She didn't even use the word relationships, I don't think, but that's how you get to Jesus. And I was like, so what we're praying to all, like when you say it's through, I mean, she's meaning obedience. It's what she's claiming as obedience to all of these people is the only way. And I'm like, have you read the new Testament where it literally says, I am the way Jesus says, I am the way there is no one else scripturally. That's, you know, if you're looking at it from a Christian context, it's like, that doesn't even equate to what you're 
like there is, I don't even know how there's something in scripture that you take to then create this list of, no, you go through all these people and these relationships, including your boss. I just can't get over the boss. And in order to get to Jesus, it's also like authority does not mean having authority does not mean that you are aligned with good values, that you aren't abusive, that you aren't actively harming people because oftentimes authority and power corrupt people. So those are the people that are inflicting abuse. And it's just ludicrous to say that just because someone has a title over you or is older than you, or has, you know, external male sex organs, that they should have any say in your life. Never once does she talk about like exactly what you're saying, Megan, of like, And if you are in one of these positions of power, your responsibility is tenfold to whatever. Never. It's like, no, if you're under anything, the end. There's never any conversation about the rest. I think it also kind of like thinking about inverting that a little bit, it sets up a dangerous like transactional precedent for how the relationships are supposed to work. So if I want something because that's over here, and that's like, I'm on par with like what I want. I have to appease all of these people above me and just pacify them basically to get whatever it is that I want. And also thinking that as long as I am obedient, I'll get what I want. Mm-hmm. And that kind of like, is I'm just thinking about all of the like diet culture things at play mm-hmm. here too. Like if what you want is to be in a smaller body, if I'm obedient, And that is like, it kind of plays out in the next like theme of this episode too. If I'm obedient to my husband and I can ask him for permission to have a Starbucks drink, then it'll be thinner. Mm -hmm. It's more like pure in the eyes of God Mm -hmm. and all is right with the world. But Mm -hmm. that's not exactly how that plays out in this episode as we know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So then comes sexism system of oppression. Number two, sex surprised. Did anybody shock patriarchy? I don't know. I just didn't (laughs) see this one coming into play (laughs) y'all. I mean, it is a woman laden, right? A woman's in charge. So how could there be sexism if a woman's in charge? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but what if a woman has internalized sexism? Well, the other side of that, I mean, to finish that example, so this woman um, who whose identity was totally, like, hidden, she was totally anonymous in this, but she was describing an incident where she was running a 5K, I think, and um, she ended up being hospitalized because of, um, I think it was an uh, electrolyte issue like she um didn't have enough electrolytes and they found out that it was because she I don't know if it was the same day but basically she had been restricting her eating to the point where she had asked her husband if she could get a Starbucks drink and he responded saying well do you want this or do you want dinner and no wonder she was in the hospital after that, because if that's the pattern that you're going with, it's inevitable. 
Yeah. And the reason she was having an electrolyte uh, deficiency was because she was severely restricting her food and over-exercising. Mm-hmm. The, but then she was also at the same time talking about how she was the smallest she had ever been. So I'm sure in the eyes of the church, she was successful in her journey with God. Um, so she was doing everything right. Mm-hmm. And we see that play out all over the place, right? Like we talk about that a lot, just in a general context of, well, if you're thin, you must be doing something right. Mm-hmm. You must be yeah. good. Mm-hmm. You must be healthy. All of these you know, moral values that we give in our society, the things that should have no moral value. Then we meet Rachel Phillips, who we've seen in some other episodes. Yes, Rachel. And she has shaved her head. And at yeah. one point they ask her why. Yeah. And she says it was just like a, to symbolize freedom from the freedom. abuse. To symbolize freedom. Mm-hmm. Who else does that make anybody think of? Because I'm thinking about Britney, Britney Spears. Spears. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. Shaved her head because she was, she had no freedom. Mm -hmm. And I think about the, how we have so often equated like long hair, you know, below your ear hair as like feminine. Yes. Which would have then equated to your role in this church, quote unquote church, this cult. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think about like the symbol, I mean, obviously Rachel thought about it too, but the symbolism of what it means to shave your head coming out of a place like that and Mm -hmm. with that kind of control over your, your femininity, your womanhood, your Mm -hmm. personhood. I think too, I mean, hair in some ways is kind of like rings on a tree trunk. Like it's, it grows so that like the piece at the very end was growing at a time like this is getting a very convoluted metaphor like um so I think for her she said it in not so many words but like shaving her head was sort of like freeing herself from that trauma right and kind of shedding that layer and leaving it in the past yeah and she was the one who talked about Ted anger Mm -hmm. Ted right yeah Mm -hmm. and how was she the one who was saying like we think Gwen is bad but Ted is like there's the one you really got to watch out for you know yeah because basically she'd had she was married she'd Mm -hmm. had I think like three kids at that point two at that point and that after she had children, she was kind of forced to be a childcare provider for the church. So she was taking care of her own kids. She was in a clearly uh, submissive marriage where she was having to be submissive to her husband. And then her husband would come home and want to have sex with her. And she didn't want to have sex with him because she was exhausted, which by the way, even if she didn't have all of that proof of the reasons why she didn't have sex, end of sentence. She didn't want to have sex with him. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. The end. Period. There was no mm-hmm. enthusiastic consent. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he goes to Ted and Candace. I don't know who Candace is. She's not really referenced again, but about how he's disappointed that his wife doesn't want to have sex with him. And they encouraged 
they met with Rachel. They brought Rachel in for hours of counsel, which she described as mental torture. Mm -hmm. And they encouraged her to allow for that sex to happen. Well, and they also told her to drink. Yeah, they took one to two glasses of wine. So she'd want to have sex. <sighs> I mean, are not you just that, but they encouraged her to go off her birth control because they thought that was impacting her libido. Maybe if you go off your birth control, that will make you enjoy it more and make you want it more. And then what happens? She gets pregnant. And then she's basically criticized for getting pregnant when. I, that just the logic yeah. there is by the yeah, same I mean, person that encouraged her to get off of birth control and told her he didn't think she her. was going to have any more children had yeah. told her that she oh no I don't think you're going to have any more children so I think you're fine to go off your birth control and then he was the one who was angry anger Teddy. right anger ang- Angers was angry Angers was angry y'all um yeah man There was just a pattern of husbands telling their wives that they needed to be more feminine, that they needed to lose weight, that they needed to be more submissive. And they would threaten to turn them in if they disobeyed. But it was also like, I'm going to talk to Ted about how you're talking to me. I'm going to turn you in when it's the wife expressing frustration at the very least about the husband's addictions or infidelity or like very serious relationship issues that the wife is trying to like raise concerns about. And the husband is holding a threat over their head about, you know, I'm going to go to Ted. I'm going to tell Ted this is happening. And it becomes this pattern of, you know, it was another woman, I believe who was describing an instance where she basically kicks her husband out because he was cheating on her, I believe is what she alluded to. And she tells Ted what's going on, asks him to send her husband to a hotel so that she doesn't have to sleep under the same roof as him for one night. And Ted comes back and says, you know, you can't work things out if you're not under the same roof, you know, do it as a personal favor to me. And of course, at that point, when there's so much, you know, authoritarianism, fear baked into it, you're not going to say no to Ted. So you let him back in. And then the next day you just pretend that everything's fine. Meanwhile, do you think they're calling these men in who are uh, habitually cheating on their wives for counsel? Cause they didn't mention that. Well, obviously not because Ted is literally like with the husband. No, I'll get her to let you come back. It's like, obviously he's not. They talked about it being a good old boys club, which that phrase alone is just like, I know exactly what, like, what the structure was like, or the the dynamic was like, just with that alone. Mm -hmm. So there are women that are being encouraged to go back into abusive marriages or stay Mm -hmm. or stay. And then this one woman who, it doesn't really I don't know if it really talks about her relationship status, but she uh, talks about being on antidepressants and Gwen told her that she needed to get off of them. So she just, and that brings us. Yeah. So she stopped and that brings us to 
mental health stigma. Mm. Our third system of oppression that we see come up in this episode. Gwen also called mental health struggles demons. And that's not the first time I've heard that before. That is not an uncommon teaching in the church. I don't know if we need to specifically spell out why that's fucking problematic, but it's fucking problematic. Like people that deal with mental health struggles are already discriminated against in so many ways. And to add a spiritual layer that like, there's a demon inside you is bad. It is. And even, even the places that don't say that specifically, that your mental health stuff is demons, do demonize medication yep. and say mm-hmm. you should pray more or you should um, just get over it, just get over it, or you should do X, Y, and Z. You don't need that. You know, you don't need to be reliant on that. You know what we don't say that about? People who need um, blood pressure and medicine, yep. people who <laughs> need cholesterol medicine, like antibiotics. We don't say that about those things. Well, Gwen probably would say that about blood pressure and the other thing, cause she would That's tie true. it to weight. Mm-hmm. That is true. She probably would. The quote that sticks out about this part from Gwen is saying like, when you're sick of your suffering, when you're sick of taking antidepressants, when you're too big for your pants, you'll quit. Like you'll just, when you're, when you're sick of it, you'll quit. And it's just, there's so many layers to that. Like, let's unpack them, Katie. <laughs> let's pull the first layer. Not just that, but when you're struggling with thoughts of depression, you know, she'll say like, well, you call us at the office, but you don't call us because you want to talk about us. You just call us because you want to talk about yourself. Cause that's the same theme that we mentioned earlier about, you know, if you're thinking about yourself, then that's, that's the problem. And that's a cult theme that it, you should be worrying about us, not us worrying about you. Right. As the leadership. Yeah. So this one member is she said after a month of getting off her antidepressants, she's okay for about a month because it's still in her system for a while. And then it gets so bad that she's having to leave services because she's having full on panic attacks. And she's so scared about how to deal with her mental health because of how she's been treated thus far. She finds a hospital in a different County because she's so worried that someone's going to find out from the church that she's gone there. And her husband tells her that Ted, Angers, Anger, has, finds out about it. I guess her husband tells Ted about it. And Ted says that she deserves hell on earth for being disobedient. And the disobedience that he's talking about is seeking mental health support and taking antidepressants. Yeah. So they end up, they take her to an, an institution to, I guess, on a, I'm not, I don't know what the codes are, but on a hold of some it's kind. It's like a suicide watch. Yeah. yeah. And um, she calls her husband to say, call Gwen's because it's so bad because she says the person they've put her with like it's just so bad she's like I can't be here and she um calls her husband to say you call Gwen right now and tell her to get her lawyers on this and get me out of here and that's when instead of that not that 
not that I think any of us are naive to think that's what would have happened if Gwen had been called, but Ted is called. And then, yeah, he makes this claim. No, you leave her right there. That's exactly where she should be. So her husband comes and she says that it took her social work therapist 45 minutes to convince her husband that she needed antidepressants because she had clinical depression. That it wasn't demons. Can you imagine that conversation? And then not just that, but says antidepressants that she's prescribed says you can take them as long as I don't see you take them. So when I'm asked about it, I can have plausible deniability and say, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. Yeah. That's what her husband says. And so then she's taking the antidepressants. And when she goes back to the church, everyone's saying, see, you didn't need that. You didn't need those antidepressants you're fine. Yeah. God healed you of the demons while she's taking them while she's <laughs> taking them. I mean, that goes unsaid, but she's yeah. taking them and that's what they say. You, you dumb, 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 dumbs. <laughs> yeah. She's just fine. Are you kidding? She was in a hospital. They put her back on her meds. Delaney, right? We need to. Yes. Let's talk about Delaney. Talk about Delaney. I found it really interesting that. So the story has kind of been a thread through all three of these episodes um, just to catch up, she, Delaney met a guy in high school. His name's Jackson. He's part of the Remnant Fellowship. Um, he ends up, she ends up running away from home, um, kind of becoming indoctrinated, alienated from her family. And now they're engaged to get married. And in the last episode, we learned that they are planning to get married in that building and with Gwen officiating. And at this point, we learn from Delaney's dad that they've been having, that Delaney actually wanted to have a conversation with him and said, we're no longer getting married at the church, at the building. And Gwen will more than likely not even be there. Like she's not officiating or anything, which to me is like a sliver of hope for what could be. I don't know. Right. Because she did that because her parents were saying, we're not going to go. Right. If it's, if it's yes, it's exactly. Right. And, um, and so that to me felt a little bit like there's something still, you know, as much as she's not talking to them, as much as she's like in this world, maybe there are things she's starting to see and she wants to make sure she does have a tether to the outside world. The other real, I thought kind of beautiful thing about what they, before we get to the end of Delaney, which is that she talks about, or I'm sorry, he talks about her dad, that we want people to know, because we're hearing some rumblings that there might be people who want help getting out of remnant, um, that we're here for those who are willing. We're sad. It's not our daughter at the moment who's willing, but we're willing to make that space available for people who are, I was like, Oh, well, there's you some compassion and humility and like, um, in the midst of their pain saying, well, we want to help others. I mean, that's, I thought pretty powerful. So they're having this outdoor wedding and her dad walks her down the aisle. And he like, apparently he says, he looks at her right at the very last minute and says, last chance. She's, and she says, let's go, you know, which I can't imagine how difficult that would have been for him to do. I mean, um, and then he says, I kind of can't believe it happened that the wedding still happened considering what happened the morning of the wedding, 
which is the plane lands in the middle of Percy Priest that is carrying Joe Laura, who is they think the pilot, uh, Gwen Shamblin, two of the leaders of the church and their wives. And they, everyone on the plane is presumed dead after taking off from Smyrna, I believe, and Mm. headed to Florida and they land in Percy Priest. They were going to a MAGA rally. Just P.S. Were they really? They sure were. You know, I did not know that information that they thought that Joe was the pilot. I didn't either. Which is very interesting to me, considering. Okay, so this is where my, like, conspiracy, like, tinfoil hat comes out. Because (laughs) when they were talking about Delaney saying, oh, we don't know if Gwen is going to officiate it. Paired with the fact that Joe is the pilot, how much of this do we think was planned? Well, I, I mean, they deep dive. I, I followed this train of thought of conspiracy. Conspiracy. I I think the thing about the Delaney was just that they had plans to go to this rally. So, so oh, okay. Like, when so was it was available. just a conflict. However, that text that we see a little bit of from from Gwen's daughter Elizabeth that she sends out to the church members does seem weird. Uh a strange tone that she has hit in this text message that just seems like maybe not as distressed as one might be after. Which I mean, when she has lost a child and been forced to keep all of her grief internalized to say what the appropriate like message is for someone like that. Um, But But just like the way she was like, don't worry, God is in control. God still has a plan kind of stuff. Yeah, is it coded? Question mark? Question mark. I don't know. She just lost her mother and her husband. And in my mind, I was like, and she didn't take the opportunity to get the hell out of there? Like Like how indoctrinated is she? She's been carrying all this. Well, yes. But I mean, even I was like really shocked at her presence on stage that they show at the very end. Mm-hmm. Like, where is that gust of whatever coming from? Because she's clearly, it's very visible that there's other things going on. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's how I want to say that. Um, you, you, you could see the, the trauma in her eyes, I think, often. But in this, like prior, post um, losing her child, you could kind of see that continual showing up. And in this, there was like, it was something different in this. Like, I'm either, I'm going to rise to the occasion to take over, or I'm going to lead us in a new direct. I don't know. It was just like a different control thing. It felt like, um, but that was fascinating. When you, when, and when you're in, I'm like, how are they explaining this? How are they explaining it? Right. Because they're so focused on like the prosperity stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Well, if all those people were thin enough, I mean, (laughs) right. How did that happen? Who's, 
whose disobedience is this on? They'll Which find in a the way past, to spin it. The, sure. Yeah, they have. They 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 put it off on other members in the past. So I'm sure in that's the past. Weird. I mean, I could see them villainizing Joe. I could see them yeah. like pinning it on anyone other than her because she can do no wrong. And is this going to like um, immortalize her? I mean, in some ways, I think things like this ways. happen and people double down on it. Like true, true. Yeah, is she now the martyr? Like, is she Jesus two point mm-hmm. now with this death? Okay, now we're going to talk about some just general cult things. Who is drawn to being a cult leader? Who is drawn to being a cult member? So some typical traits that we find in cult leaders are grandiose idea of who they are and what they can achieve, demanding blind, unquestioned obedience, requiring excessive admiration, having a sense of entitlement, being exploitative of others and putting others at risk frequently, lacking in empathy and authoritarianism which we saw examples of every single one of those with her, pretty sure. Also, those uh, symptoms or personality traits overlap with narcissistic personality disorder in a big way. So what kind of people are drawn to be members of cults? Well, I mean, people that have low self-esteem, people that are highly agreeable. I mean, I would say people who are susceptible to be followers as opposed to having like critical thought. I mean, um, and I think there's a lot of people, and I, I think this is true of a lot of people in the world that absolute answer, maybe in some ways, all of us, that absolute answers are easier. Yeah. They make us comfortable. You know, definitely that black and white thinking kind of comes into play here. This is right. This is wrong. This is good. This is bad. And the vulnerability goes out the window in that right yeah you don't don't have to be vulnerable ever true and there's such arrogance in that of like Mm -hmm. i know this for certain i cannot be swayed like for the leaders i mean who are who are recruiting people in to say i just like anybody that's like nope got it all figured out i'm just like very skeptical of because do you how yeah yeah right right and when we think about Uh, populations of people that have low self-esteem. These are people with body image issues. They're people with clinical depression. They're people that are women. Like I I saw a study that says women make up 70% of cult members. So all of those groups are marginalized already. So you might be like us and sitting here wondering like, how could a rational human being fall under the spell of these cult leaders. And we've already talked about that a little bit. Maybe there is self-esteem, which like, I'm not moralizing self-esteem. I have low self-esteem that I have Mm -hmm. worked very hard on, but some, there are lots of facets and tactics that are used in cult leadership that are very manipulative and persuasive. And one of those is called love bombing. Have y'all heard about this? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard about it in the context of a cult. I've just heard about it same. in terms of like a like a, a romantic relationship. Usually, same, same, Katie. Like of how narcissists are in relationships. Mm-hmm. So this is the idea that like once you either start in a relationship or become a member of cult, 
leadership will flatter you and compliment you and often like do these grand gestures um, so that you associate the cult with love and acceptance. And that's kind of what we all want is love and acceptance. Yeah. So if you can play on that vulnerability in people, you've got them. And these other facets of mind control include public humiliation. You saw that with Gwen. Like they would call people in and call them out when things were going on. Mm -hmm. Self-incrimination. Another thing that they did with those hours of counseling. Also Scientology uh, does that a lot too. Mm -hmm. Because they require you to list all of your sins, basically. (laughs) Uh, Brainwashing and then paranoia. So, you know, the belief that no one else will keep you safe. No one else will have your best interest at heart. Everyone, it's an us versus them mentality. So you, it just fosters a lot of distrust of anyone outside of the cult. Well, like, I'm just thinking about Delaney, you know, it was her, her caregivers, her parents, someone that she has very strong ties to. They were uh, telling her that they had darkness in her home. Yeah, right. And that, that she could not trust her parents to do what is in her best interest. Yeah. So that, that gives a little background on like how this happens. Yeah. And it's the perpetual, we love you. We love you. We love you, but bad, bad. (laughs) we we would love you more if, yeah. Yeah. And then you do the thing or you don't do the thing. And that changes your acceptance in the group one way or the other. So it's a Mm -hmm. constant push and pull, you know, it's a constant belittling and then building it back up and then belittling Mm -hmm. and then building it back up. Yeah. Until they realize you're done. And then it's nothing but hell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lots of shame. Shame is weaponized in a big way. Yeah. So this was our last recap episode for a while. For now. For now. To be continued. continued. When I was on my trip with my sisters this weekend, um, we talked about this just a little bit. And one of my sisters who has seen the docuseries um, was surprised to learn that this church is still very much up and going and has like, I can drive to Brentwood right now and knock on their door and say, hi, I would like to become a member of your church, (laughs) which probably not based on like who I am, but please don't, um, Katie. Is that your takeaway? (laughs) But also what if I was like a double agent, you know, what if I'm like, trying to like be yeah. part of like mayday in handmaid's tale like i'm yeah. part of the resistance <laughs> yeah i know it's okay oh my gosh well it'll be interesting to see what happens in those two episodes but we also have we will be having another episode between now and then with our special guest mm-hmm. who has um gone to remnant it's gonna report how that was yeah, was she fun. was, she is our double agent. Mm-hmm. She was, that was not her intention, <laughs> but she will act as our double agent. Mm-hmm. And also I'm just going to put my future therapist hat on for a second and say that if you have watched this episode and you feel a type of way about it and you feel it in your body, especially, I want to encourage you to discharge that by mm. shaking it out screaming it out, dancing it out, running it out, something that gets your heart rate up just a little bit to metabolize that trauma because that's some heavy shit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we don't want you to be left with 
another thing mm-hmm. in today's world to weigh heavily on your soul. And the DMs That's are a good open. Note. Yeah. And the what? The DMs are open. Yeah. So thank you for that, Megan. I'm going to go do something. I don't know. Cause I just watched this episode today and it's yeah. already still up in my back. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm going to go get that out. Cause I was saying my, I was like physically nauseous just watching that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So make sure you're paying attention to whatever feed you follow us in, whether it's on Instagram or if you're listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening, we will be um, releasing that episode with Haley, you know, at some point in the, before the TBD. Next TBD. So just make sure you're watching out. And, I'll, and of course, our upcoming season just the rest of our season as we continue to release good, good content and good um, episodes. Um, I, before we go, realized that we have this wonderful intro music and outro music that we have not talked about. And this would be the work of intern Eric. And he took, um, he kind of parodied the podcast Serial. Um, and the song is called Serial, as in a bowl of. So we're just always grateful for intern, intern Eric's really dedicated um, coffee runs um, and um, what else are intern supposed crawling. to do? Dog corralling. Dog and um, cheerleading. Audio tech help. Audio tech, um, just, you know, the things that interns do. Um, and for this uh, wonderful, perfect um, podcast music for our mini series. All right. We'll see you next time. We'll not see you. This is a podcast. We'll talk at you. (laughs) We'll talk at you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.